Hey, what's going on, everybody? And welcome back to another episode of the White Tiger Podcast. It is so good to see you. I always love seeing familiar faces. And if it's your first time here, I say welcome. And let me introduce myself. My name is Craig Castelletto, and I am one of the hosts here at the White Tiger Podcast. And here we talk about anything and everything that involves personal growth, professional growth, success, taking your game to the next level, and much, much, much more. So this week, I want to share with you just a really great life-changing, and I truly mean this life-changing conversation I had with a really smart guy. Now, before I tell you a little bit about him, I want to tell you a little bit about kind of the core of our conversation and what we spoke about, which I felt was so life-changing. Now, there was a period of time in my life, and I'm sure a lot of other people share the similar experience, where we had no idea what I wanted to do when it came to choosing a career. Eventually, I figured it out, but there was a point where I'm just like, all I know is I need to go to college, I need to get a degree, and at some point, I'm going to figure out what direction I'm going to go in. And there was this void that just wasn't being filled. And that void was just a lack of information and really good, genuine guidance on picking a career or figuring out what I wanted to do with my life. And some of it came through trial and error and just some life experience, but I think It would have been great to hear this message that we're about to share with you in regards to picking a career, or even more specifically, the 10 biggest mistakes that people make when choosing a career. Now, this is not just for someone coming out of high school and going into college or coming out of college with a degree and not sure exactly what career path they wanted to take. This is for everybody. If you're transitioning careers later in life, the information here is really, really good. If you're just getting into the workforce later in life, there's so much here that can help you just start thinking about really what path you want to take when it comes to picking your career. And there's so many things that I think that we're not doing that are so important, and you're going to find out about a bunch of them that are so important to be doing or at least thinking about when you're ready to kind of make this decision or you're going through this transition. So before we get this episode started, I want to thank each and every one of you for all the support that you bring to the podcast. And if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. You can do that over on iTunes or on Google Play or the various other podcast platforms that are out there. You could also check out some social media, which is at the White Tiger Podcast on Instagram. There's also a link in the bio you could click on, and it conveniently takes you right to iTunes, so you can go leave a review and subscribe if you like. And thank you so much, because the more subscriptions we get, the more reviews we get, the bigger impact we can make. And I just wanted to thank each and every one of you for being part of that process. We all get one chance at life. What are you doing with yours? All failures and successes in life start with you. You steer your own ship, control your own thoughts, and choose how you react to things that occur. Everybody deals with challenges. It's how you handle them that makes the difference. Proper advice and real-world answers can be hard to come by, and that's where the White Tiger Podcast comes in. Host Craig Casaletto has seen and experienced things most people don't and shouldn't. 15 years in law enforcement taught him many life lessons, and he's here with a raw perspective on the professional and personal challenges life throws our way. This is the White Tiger Podcast. I had a really great sit-down conversation with this week's guest. His name is Timothy Mulroy. 
Now, Tim is a leader and managing partner at Northwestern Mutual located here in Southern California. So one thing that you need to know about Tim is not only is he just super successful, but he is an absolute wealth of knowledge. I really do enjoy talking to him and just getting his perspective on things. And you're going to get a taste of that in hearing this interview, but you're going to see that there's so much information here in this conversation that can absolutely help whether you're just starting, whether you're in the middle of your life or whatever it is when it comes to choosing a career and finding your path. So with that being said, I am excited to bring you this week's conversation with Timothy Mulroy. I have a very, very, very special guest for you today who agreed to come on the podcast and much, much appreciated. His name is Tim Mulroy, and he's the managing partner here at Northwestern Mutual in Newport Beach, California. And most importantly, he's an expert in helping people live the life they truly want. And we're going to talk about some really cool things today, which I'm going to have him explain. But first, Tim, I wanted to say thank you for being here. Absolutely. What an honor. What a privilege. Uh, I, I'm grateful to have the opportunity and to have three varies, you know, very, very, very. I feel like that's already a high standard for me to live up to. Yeah. Well, listen, I'm setting the bar pretty high for you to perform here today. So I, I you know, I could throw another very if you want in there. It's up to you. Let's do it. I'll deliver. All right. So it's a very, 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 and very important guest. So, so Tim, maybe we could just, for the people that uh, may not know you, maybe you could just explain a little bit about your journey and your background, kind of uh, whether it be just a personal journey and your, your experience to becoming a, a managing partner here at Northwestern. Absolutely. I mean, the topic we're really going to cover today is the the 10 biggest mistakes people make when choosing a career. And really, the question I'd be asking myself if I was listening to this is, you know, what qualifies Tim to have anything to say about how to choose a career? Um, the bottom line for me is when we talk about being an expert at helping people live the life they truly want, it's because I had to become an expert at living the life that I truly want. Uh, my background is... Uh, well, not perfect. I mean, many people have their stories. I have mine too. You know, growing up, I had significant family challenges. I had significant health challenges. I was in and out of the hospital with asthma, um, in and out of the hospital with allergic reactions to peanut butter, things like that, and really spent the first part of my life just fighting to live. Uh, now, my mom didn't have a lot of education and so therefore never had a very huge income. You know, we lived together, just her and me, all the way up through third grade, section eight apartment. And so there wasn't a lot of money, right? Eventually my mom got remarried. We moved out to a very, very small town in uh, York County, Pennsylvania. And the bottom line was I was told no uh, almost all the time, pretty much all the time. In fact, many birthdays and Christmases, my gifts were, you know, practical things like clothing, sneakers. And so... Early on, I had a hunger for more in life, a hunger that wasn't being satiated, wasn't being um, uh, fulfilled with the abilities that my parents could provide, and I totally understand that. But the blessing in that, the beauty in all of that, uh, is that I was forced to figure out, okay, if I want a life that's different than I'm living right now, what am I going to do? So I've had careers all the way since I was 11 years old. When I was 11 years old, I think my mom illegally signed for me because you were supposed to be 12 years old to get a newspaper route. Uh, I got my first newspaper route and started delivering papers. And um, throughout the course of the next year or so, I'm making, I don't know, 70 bucks a month. I guess that works out to be like two bucks a day. Um, as a self-employed independent contractor, purchasing my newspapers from the York Newspaper Company and reselling them to the people that had subscriptions. 
Well, ultimately, I realized that that wasn't the career I wanted because that career was 365 days a year, no days off, and um, pretty minimal wages. The great thing is my manager in those days uh, picked me up and said, hey, Tim, I've got this new opportunity for you. I'd like to take you out crewing, which is selling newspaper subscriptions door to door to door. And I found that even as like a 12, 13, 14 year old, I was making 30 bucks, 50 bucks, 60 bucks an hour sometimes just selling newspaper subscriptions door to door. So when you looked at the opportunity of like, hey, do I keep working 365, 24 seven to make 70 bucks a month? Or do I work a couple hours a week and make infinitely more? And so that just sort of opened my eyes to what's really possible in the world. That if you have a hunger that's big enough, and if you have a determination that's unquenchable, you can find a way, there's always a way. So then time marched on a little bit, and by the time I turned 15, I thought, oh, I guess I'm probably supposed to get a regular job at this point. So the first job I got was I worked the salad bar at a place called Haas's Steak and Seahouse. And so, you know, I'm like putting fruit out there, making sure the lettuce isn't on the bar, keeping it clean, wiping up the dressing, making like, I think I made like, I don't know, eight bucks an hour or something. And so that was back to uh, horrific work standards by my, you know, by my measure, and there was a restaurant down the street three months into this that offered me 50 cents more an hour to work in their dish room. So I went and did that, got fired from that job three months later when I made a joke about suing them if I fell off a ladder. So here I am, I'm 16 years old, I've got two regular jobs, I give it one more try and go work for Walmart for three months in the automotive department. Well, I found that stocking shelves with oil and uh, making sure that the little Christmas tree air fresheners were straight for, I think that might have been 9 or 9.50 an hour. Uh, there was a company stock plan, but I, don't, I wasn't involved in that. I found that that wasn't really what I wanted either. And so three months into that, as I'm finding any opportunity I can to go back in the stock room and take a nap in between the cases of oil, true story, uh, I ended up quitting and going back to selling. And I haven't looked back. I haven't had a regular job since the time I was, uh, I think, 16 years old. So Northwestern Mutual found me when I was in college. I started in their internship program. uh, And they told me, hey, Tim, uh, no matter how hard you work, no matter how successful you are, there's no limit to what we're willing to compensate you. And that seemed like a perfect fit for me. I converted to be a full-time advisor that summer, worked really hard, built a practice that was nationally notable over the next five years then became a managing director and built an office that was nationally notable over the next five years. And 10 years in or five years ago, Northwestern Mutual offered me the opportunity to come to Newport Beach, California and take over the operation down here. And so um, you fast forward from there five years, I'm here talking to you. I've experienced many careers. I've met thousands of people over the last 15 years and um, developed some skills and knowledge and insight into what doesn't work when people are trying to win in their career and in life and what does win. So again, I'm grateful for this opportunity to share. Great. You know, first, well said, and I really appreciate you sharing your story. Totally. And second, when it comes to the financial part, like, was it something that you were just drawn to? Was it, was it the, was it the freedom aspect of the job or was it more of something you said, Hey, listen, this is something I really like. This is something I could really excel in. I want to pursue this. What's interesting is, um, it's, it's evolved over time today. The reason I love the financial services and most especially being at Northwestern Mutual is because we really go to the center of people's lives financially 
and help them uh, really create a map for where they are, where they want to go, where they're headed directionally, and give them some uh, guidance on what they need to do from a savings standpoint, money management standpoint, investment management standpoint to help them really achieve their goals and get on track for what they want. So I love the impact side of it. But frankly, when I was 22 years old, when they said, hey, there's no limit to how much money you can make, this sure, this is a uh, all commission or whatever job initially, but we'll pay you as much. That was all I wanted to hear because I knew what it was like to be broke. I knew what it was like to be wanting. And I got married young also. I got married that same year. And I thought, you know what? I want to provide a life for my wife and my kids that is um, financially at a different level than anyone in my family's ever experienced. And when Northwestern Mutual gave me, without a lot of pedigree, that opportunity, I jumped on it. Have you ever felt or thought about at the beginning when you decided to take this path uh, about the risk that potentially is involved? Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, I was terrified, you know, like daily. How am I going to find the next person to call or what if I don't acquire any clients? I mean, it was, um, it was really baptism by fire, right? You know, it takes fire to remove the impurities from metal. And there's been a lot of fire over the last 15 years to make me into who I am today, which is nobody perfect. In fact, I'm more aware of my failings and faults today than ever, but it's who I became along the process that really I'm grateful for. Yeah, that's that's pretty amazing. I know a lot of people go through, I guess, just a failure uh, in different ways. I've always kind of looked at it as more of like, you're getting your feedback, right? Yep. Based on maybe this is just not what I've... What didn't, you know, this is what didn't work for me. And how do I adjust my sales to get it next time to work properly? I I like that. I like that you use the word feedback. Most people think about, I think, think about um, feedback as like another person sharing with you what you're, uh, what you're really good at and what your opportunities are. But the bottom line is life gives you feedback every single day, right? If you look at your bank account, that's feedback. If you look at yourself in the mirror, that's feedback. If you look at the results on a blood panel, that's feedback. And it's not from a person, and no one's judging you but you, but the bottom line is the results are your feedback, right? If you want different results, um, you have to have you have to take different actions, right? And if you want to take different actions, you got to have different beliefs. So, yeah, that's, um, that's an interesting distinction. But, yeah, like, feedback is what helps you grow, and it's not just from people. It's also from having a true, vulnerable look at where you actually stand today. Yeah, you know, another question, uh, kind of before we dive into um, the choosing career stuff that we mm-hmm. want to talk about, um, what does setting a standard mean to you? So to me, setting a standard, it's um, it's really like a standard is a limit, right? So like on one hand, setting a standard is a very powerful and good thing, but it's also a dangerous thing because when you decide what the standard is for your life, that's as good as it's going to get. So I think that the illusion would be that maybe less successful people don't have standards. The truth is everybody has standards and we're all meeting our standards every single day. So the question isn't, am I going to have a standard? The question is, what will my standard be? What level am I willing to play the game of life at? Because ultimately, uh, as far as business, entrepreneurship, you know, jobs, careers, it, it is a game, right? Like it's, um, people get very, very personally attached to outcomes. But like, think about it, Craig, if you and I were playing a game of Monopoly, I might get upset 
if you got all the railroads and I didn't, because I know that that has consequences to me as the game, you know, marches on. But the bottom line is, I remember it's just a game. No doubt I want to beat you. Uh, and I want to beat you handily. But if I lose, it's like, whatever, right? Life is that way too. And why is life a game just like Monopoly? Because we're all going to die. Like, Monopoly is a game because ultimately there's no eternal consequence to whether or not I beat you. And there's no eternal consequence realistically to whether or not I make a million dollars or five million dollars or ten million dollars or five dollars per year. Because it's all going to go away anyway for you or for me. So why not just have fun? And why not just keep rolling the dice? Yeah. And you know, I'm glad you mentioned that because I think a lot of people often don't see it that way. I don't think a lot of people see that, you know, eventually this ride is going to end. Um, And when you look at it from like a a finite perspective, I think you definitely could maybe put perspective of your life and think like, all right, what am I doing now? Like, what am I doing now? and, And what do I need to do if you're unhappy with where you're at? Exactly. So, uh, I really, one of the reasons why, for, well, for many reasons why I had Tim come on here, um, and Tim, again, if, I appreciate you, your time here today. Uh, I wanted to talk about some of the mistakes that people make when choosing a career. Now, I think Tim is obviously a great resource for this. I wanted to bring him on because I think he could share a lot of value and shed a lot of light on this subject for us. And maybe you can just kind of dive in, Tim, and tell us um, what you felt in your experience or experience of others, uh, what the typical big mistakes are when people do uh, pursue or choose a career. Absolutely. And I've got a list here, right? I, I was brainstorming because I was thinking about our talk when you asked me, like, what are the biggest mistakes people make when they choose their career? Which, first of all, I think this topic just generally is so important. You know, there's like, we spend a third of our life in bed right? We spent like probably a third of our life at work and a third of our lives doing whatever we want. It's kind of the same thing with money, right? Like the government gets a third, your bills get a third, and then basically you've got about a third left to figure out if you want to save or spend or or do something fun. So work's going to get a third of your life. So you better darn well make sure that it's intentional, right? Because that's like, to me, it seems insane that somebody would um, not spend a significant amount of money on a mattress, Right, somebody will spend a half a million dollars or a million dollars or even $150,000 on a house, you know, but they're actually going to spend like half of their time in that house in a bed with their eyes closed. And just like some of the old hotel chains used to say, the room looks the same with your eyes closed, right? A million dollar house looks just like a $100,000 house with your eyes closed. So if you got a you know two hundred dollar mattress in a million dollar house, sorry to go on that rant. I don't know where that came from, but <laughs> but it's the same thing with a career. It's like you're going to spend a third of your life there. Holy cow! You better avoid these pitfalls. Um, but yeah, so if if it's cool, I just want to roll right into kind of what yeah. I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So the first thing, and I will say the the biggest mistake in any area of life: relationships, career, money. Um, spirituality, like whatever, you you name it. The number one biggest mistake anywhere, and certainly the number one biggest mistake when it comes to choosing a career, is selecting a career without a vision. A career is a vehicle. Like nobody wants a job. Like nobody wants to be an anesthesiologist like on the surface, right? People want what being an anesthesiologist means for them right? It could mean that they want to make a significant difference in people's lives. They might want to help people end pain and suffering. They might like the financial aspect of being an anesthesiologist, but nobody picks it because like, I. it's like saying I want a million dollars because I like 
cotton paper and I want a lot of it, right? Like that makes no sense. So when you're selecting a career, you've got to realize that a career is just a vehicle. And we only eat, the only reason we own a vehicle is because we want to get somewhere. Like I've got a really nice car, but I don't just sit outside in my driveway in it and hang out, right? I mean, like that, that's not where I'm going to spend my time. I have it because it's a vehicle. Uh, so a career is a vehicle. You've got to have a vision. And a vision means like, where are you today? And then where do you want to be at some point in the future? You've got to have clarity. Like, what do I want in my life relationally? What do I want in my life financially? What do I want in my life spiritually? What kind of freedom do I want in my life? Um, Do I want to be able to retire one day? You've got to answer all of those questions about your future. And then you've got to say, does this career give me a path to getting those things? Because if your career doesn't give you a path to get what you want, you're kind of doomed from the start. I think in the seven habits of highly successful people, the first habit is begin with the end in mind. And I couldn't agree more. Before you even think about selecting a career, start with what do you want your life to look like on the other side of all this so that you can reverse engineer that into will this career get me there or not? Yeah, you know, it's as you say that, I'm thinking, how many people are actually really doing that? Especially at a young age, you think, all right, let's say hypothetically you're, you're, you go to college, right? Let's say you're one of those people that goes to college, you come out with your degree, and then you seem kind of lost, you know, for the most part. And you're not maybe just really kind of don't have the direction. Some, I mean, I, can't, I don't want to speak for everybody, but that there are a lot of people, you know, that experience that situation. And do, I wonder if they really don't spend any time thinking about that. It's, it's, it's a great question. I don't think they do. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, um, I was really clear on what I wanted when I graduated college, and that was I wanted to earn a lot of income, and this career showed me that opportunity. And of course, I mean, who doesn't want to help people? I wanted to help people, and I definitely didn't want to hurt people, so if I could do something useful, awesome. But, um, but yeah, many people, well, that kind of leads me into mistake two and mistake three. Like, why are they not uh, first focusing on their vision? Well, I think mistake two is people focus on what they can do based on their skills versus who they become. And I know there's a lot of studies out there, like, especially in the gender, kind of the whole gender conversation around, like, uh, a man will apply for a job if he has, I'm going to mess up these numbers, do not quote me on this, but something like, if a man has 25 or 30% of the skills, he'll apply for the job, and a woman won't apply unless she has, like, 85% of the skills, but both of them are wrong. You don't apply for a job because you think you can do it. You apply for a job because of who it'll force you to become. Because ultimately, who you become on this journey of life, relationships, especially your job and career, that's the place, I mean, two things are going to make you grow more than anything. One is if, if you decide to get married, right? And the other is, uh, is, is the job and career that you're in. So mistake number two really is like applying for a job because they think it's the job they can do. And holy cow. I talk to a lot of a lot of people in college, and people get so dead set on. I want to make sure I do something that uses my major, and it's like, why? It's almost like they have some sort of burden, some financial burden, to like finding a job in their field because that's what they went to school for, not even because it's what they're passionate about. Sure, if you're passionate about it, great, go for it. Mm-hmm. But who cares if you went to school for political science and you end up working in a restaurant, right? Because that's your passion. Maybe and they that, feel obligated. Maybe they feel obligated, right? But the, ask, if, if you're out there and this is you, ask yourself the question, who am I actually obligated to? And see what comes up. Yeah. And then, like I mentioned, that leads me into the the next one, too. The third huge mistake people make is proximity. 
they take the career that's available, right? It's like, hey, this person has this opportunity, sounds good enough, and they just sort of hop into it. Um, we, and by the way, how you are anywhere is how you are everywhere, right? Like we do the same thing in relationships. We end up in a relationship because of proximity, aren't really clear on what we want at the end, right? Uh, but that's part of the journey too, is the relationship uh, forces you to grow and a, and a job forces you to grow. But don't just take what's available. Get really clear where you want to go. And then find the vehicles, the jobs, the careers, the businesses, the opportunities out there that can actually deliver the life that you want. Don't forget, all of us, when we were little kids, we had dreams. We believed anything was possible and we were right. And somewhere along the line, we bought the lie that you can only achieve so much or we're not good enough or we believe just all these baloney things, that thoughts that go through our minds. Did you ever, or do you believe that there's some people, especially when you're don't have the work experience and maybe you're just coming out of, of college or whatever the case may be, that you, that you kind of have to take what's available because, because of your lack of experience, because of your kind of newness to the workforce or the, or just trying to find a, the spot where you're going to settle. So let me tell you a story. That's a good question. Um, when I was a new advisor, uh, early in my career with Northwestern Mutual, I think I was maybe about two years in or th- maybe three years in. And look, I know nobody can see me out there, but I, I really, like, I don't even really need to shave. Like I look like I'm 18 years old. It's very true. Even though I'm 38 <laughs> years old. Um, so I promise I am 38 years old. But when I was about in my second or third year in the business, believe it or not, I looked even younger. And one time I had a client ask me a question like, boy, it must be really tough getting people to trust you being so young. And... I think I got this look on my face like 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 they were from another planet because I was like I I because I was like speechless even like I am right now trying to go back into that state that that put me in and it was like no I don't have any issue with that because from the very beginning I got my licenses to practice in this industry which I knew gave me expertise far beyond like anyone I could be calling on And so I knew I knew something they didn't know from the very beginning. So the question, I mean, now the bottom line is, if you believe that lack of experience, lack of a resume holds you back from great opportunities, guess what? You're right. And if you believe that has nothing to do with who you are and who you can become and and what level you can perform at, guess what? You're also right. So um, it's both true and not true that being young and inexperienced can hold you back. The bottom line depends on your perception. I'm so grateful that for whatever reason, I never believed that youth was a disadvantage. In fact, I believed it was an advantage. I used to share with clients all the time, like, what do you want? Do you want, you just want a time when it actually matters, when this planning matters and you're about to retire? You want me to, don't want me to retire too and you got to find somebody new? And I'd say, look, this isn't a game to me. This is real. Like your future matters to me because I have to be here to watch it unfold. So if we get this wrong, like I'm not going to be off on some boat somewhere. I'm still working. So I just looked at it as an advantage. So a stronger question, if somebody out there has that thought, that fear is, why is being young young and inexperienced an advantage? I mean, even when I ask that question, all of a sudden I'm getting some answers like, Business owners all across the country and leaders of industries are trying to figure out how are we going to attract and appeal and market to the next generation? Well, you are that generation. 
You're a subject matter expert at what the next generation wants because it's you. So there's all kinds of areas you have unlimited expertise in. You just have to ask yourself a better question. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And, uh, you know, it compounds itself with some of the other things you said, like having that vision, right? The vehicle part and then just being specific and, and just seeing the position that you're in and just seeing that as an advantage, not a disadvantage. Totally. So cool if I share the next one? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Shoot. And so like when I was thinking about this, um, I think it was maybe five or six or maybe even 10. I don't know. I'm, I'm getting older. Maybe 10 years ago now I had this revelation um, that people forget the economy of business. That in business, if you have a job, somebody is betting on you. They're betting on you to win. So they're either wrong and you can't deliver and they hired you incorrectly or they're right and you're worth way more than they're actually paying you. Now that doesn't make the business owner evil. The business owner deserves the margin because they're taking all the risk on your position. But don't ever fool yourself. If you're hired by a business, it means they believe you will deliver to the bottom line probably at least three times whatever they're paying you. So as you're determining your future, like, do I want to work for myself? Do I want to own a business? Do I want to work for somebody else? Um, and you're evaluating, like, what am I actually worth? Just know that whatever you're getting paid right now, I mean, if you're working at Starbucks making, you know, I don't know what they paid, 11 bucks an hour or something, no doubt about it, they're making 100 bucks, 200 bucks an hour on the work that you're doing. So you're not worth $11 an hour. You're worth $200 an hour. It's just that Starbucks is willing to take a risk on you and you're not. Yeah, I like that. And how many people think of it that way? Not many. Not many. But when you realize it, it's like your businesses are not philanthropies. Right. Like even a nonprofit organization has to make money on your position. Otherwise, they'll spend all the money they raise in admin. Like everybody with a job is either fooling their boss because they're no good or worth infinitely more than they're being paid. So that's just uh, a big mistake is not realizing that. And that leads right into um, one, two, three, four, uh, mistake number five, which is believing that a job is safe. There are a lot of people out there um, that they just, they feel like, I just don't know if I want to build something myself. I don't know if I want to be self-employed or a business owner. I think, I mean, it'd be cool. I think I'd like it, but I just really enjoy the safety and security of my position. I mean, look, even a job in the government isn't safe, right? Yeah. How many, like how, how long was that? Weeks? I mean, how long did people go without a paycheck? And supposedly the government's the safest of all jobs, right? Like how many people get laid off every single day? How many people get downsized because corporations need to adjust their balance sheets and their profit and loss statements to make shareholders happy? Um, how many people aren't getting paid what they're worth because somewhere along the line, somebody above them decided that they didn't like them, right? That they didn't get their politics right. And I'm not here to say that everyone should be self-employed. I don't believe that. I don't think everyone should be, but I'm just thinking maybe out there there's a person that has everything it takes to build something great, to build something wonderful, but they forgot that having a job actually wasn't the safe bet. And they forgot, based on the previous mistake, what they were actually worth. 
if you knew what you were worth and you knew the risk you were actually taking by having a job, like I think a lot more people would be creating a job. Yeah, and I and I think just to add to that, I think that everybody deep down inside, I think has this thought of having that control over deciding what they want to do and, and maybe following their passion and creating that creating a business out of that or, or whatever it is and just having that control. I think, you know, it's it's nice and comfortable to be in a situation where you're getting that check every week and don't have to worry about some of the things that people that are self-employed and have their own business have. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a lot of comfort that comes with with having that, mm-hmm. that certainty, I guess you could say, exactly. in your life. And there's a lot of, you know, you know being comfortable with uncertainty, um, you know, is a major thing for people wanting to uh, to go into that entrepreneurial route or taking that entrepreneurial route, which which pays huge dividends, but it also has a lot of risk attached to it. Totally. Well, what a person I consider a mentor in my life, even though I don't know him personally, is Tony Robbins. And one of his quotes I love the most is that the quality of your life will be in direct proportion to the amount of uncertainty you can comfortably live with. The more uncertainty you can comfortably live with, the more passion you have in your life, the more zeal, the more excitement, the more energy, the more opportunities. And and hey, look, I go back to the first mistake, not having a clear vision. If you have a clear vision and your current job's meeting all your needs, right? And you and you like the we'll call it the illusion of safety, but we have an illusion of control all around us every day, but really what control do we have? But if you like the illusion of safety and you like the you know, the company, the culture you're in, and you have a plan in place and you're going to achieve all your goals, why change, right? Be happy. But if your current opportunity isn't going to make your future the exact way that you want it to be, that's when you got to consider some of these other uh, these other questions, in my opinion. No, I, I completely agree. And I could tell you from personal experience, that's it couldn't be any more true. This next one's kind of a real practical one. Like people... Um, especially, you know, people in sales jobs or sales careers, which bottom line, who isn't in sales, right? I agree. Because ultimately you got to sell yourself. So this thing, like, I don't know if I want to be in sales. In fact, when I was in college, you know, by this point, I have about a 10 year history of door to door sales, selling newspaper subscriptions. So that's what I thought sales was. When I met the man, um, his name's uh, Joe Filco. When I met Joe Filco, who introduced me to this career when I was at school, he asked me what I wanted to do. And I shared with him, I don't know, some canned, rehearsed, like, oh, I want to get in with a marketing company and work my way up through management. And he said, well, don't you want to, you seem like the kind of person that should be in sales based on your personality. And what I know as sales is like put your foot in the door and like don't get it slammed in your face and you know try to put a free newspaper sample in somebody's <laughs> hand, right? That's what I know sales as. Yeah. And um, so I thought, I said to him, you know, I don't know if I want to spend my life kind of like as a closer making sales. And that's when, um, you know, this notion of everybody's in sales and really the distinction he helped me make was that um, there's a difference between the kind of sales I was doing and truly professional sales. And in professional sales, you're identifying needs and helping people solve needs, and you're influencing them to take action. And so with that distinction, that's how I got introduced to Northwestern Mutual. But the mistake people make if they are in a career in sales is they don't make sure that the product they're selling is the best in the industry or the best in class. Like for whatever reason, this just seems so apparent to me. Um, early in my career at Northwestern Mutual, but really like over my whole life, it's like if I'm selling something, I want to sell the best. 
right? Like, why wouldn't you sell the best? Like that, that to me just seems so, um, so clear, but there are people out there again, probably because of the mistake of proximity, uh, or, um, you know, or some of the other mistakes, but probably proximity. They take the job that's available, not the one they really want. They don't take the time to really dig in and understand, like, how does this company's medical device or how does this company's, you know, drugs or prescriptions or how does, uh, how does this company's whatever, like, technology device compare to the rest of the industry? Because if you kind of fall in love with the company and product that you're interviewing at, and you find out there's a better product somewhere else, I think you owe it to yourself to at least have one or two more choices as you're going through the job interview process. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think also too, I don't think I don't think many people spend that much time thinking about it as much as they probably should. Totally. Absolutely. So then I think um this next one is like really kind of a tired buzzword, you know, in uh in the leadership world or in books, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um the seventh mistake people make is culture they don't talk, take the time to understand the culture at the company or job that they are um, that they're looking at. And frankly, for any entrepreneurs that are listening, uh, they don't take the time to think about what is the culture that they're building in their company. I heard a uh, I heard a quote one time that most leaders or business owners leave or quit uh, their company because they build an organization they no longer want to be a part of. Now, hear me loud and clear. When I'm talking about culture, I am not talking about nap pods. I am not talking about um, free bananas, free coffee. I'm not talking about, you know, um, what do you call those little scooters that like you lean forward and back on to? Oh, Segway? Yeah, I'm not talking about having segways to get from building to building. That stuff's all cool. That's perks, but that's not culture. Culture is the people that you're going to be surrounded with. Proximity is power. Most people have heard the quote, and if you haven't, here you go. You become the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Well, we already established you're going to spend a third of your life minimum with the people you work with. And so if I were looking at a new business opportunity or purchasing a company or, or whatever, I'd want to darn well know sure, like what are, the, what are the people like in that business? What do they think about? What do they believe? Um, what's their level of optimism? Because I'm going to become like the people I spend my time with. And I love this kind of notion of leaders create a culture, right? Because leaders are the culture. They decide what the culture is. And so you might be getting a sales pitch from a leader in an interview process, but the bottom line is talk to the regular people. How did you feel when you walked in the door? How did the person working at the front desk greet you? What was the look on the face when people walked past you? How many people said hello to you, right? What's the quality of conversations going on at the water cooler? Are people at the water cooler? If there's nobody at the water cooler, that could be a culture of, hey, we get to work here, right? We're about doing something significant. So culture equals people, interview people, even regular people that you're not going to be working with because your culture is defined by the lowest standard you're willing to tolerate as a leader. So if you can find out what that lowest standard is, you can determine, is that who I want to become? Because you will become the people you spend the most time with. You know, one point that I wanted to make in in reference to culture is that that is, you know, when people go into interviews, I'm not too sure how many people are going on into these interviews and actually asking their potential employer questions, you know, mm. questions about 
their organization. I almost kind of feel it's, you know, people expect it's just going to be one-sided, that I'm just going to be told what the job is, and I, I just going to be happy if I get an offer, and I'm going to take the offer, as opposed to really asking questions about, you know, what they what they stand for, what their culture is. And then again, just like Tim said, is really kind of talking to people that are in it and getting, you know, some feedback from them and getting some information from them, you know, what, you know, you're looking at. And that, I don't know if many people are doing that, really. Yeah, could you imagine if you asked a question, and if, if a candidate asked me a question in an interview, what's the lowest standard you're willing to tolerate as a leader? Like, that level of depth and quality of question, I mean, I guarantee they would move way up my list in terms of impressiveness. And don't ask the question to impress someone, and ask the question because that's maybe one of the most important questions you can ask. You know, questions like, how clear are the expectations that you give your employees, right? And how consistently do you enforce those expectations? Because anybody listening to this podcast is going to be somebody that wants more out of life, right? People that are really trying to grow. And if you're in a culture where people do not do what they say they will do, which to me, that's the definition of accountability. If you're in a culture where people don't do what they say they will do and expectations are not clearly enforced, um, you're going to be miserable and you're going to be looking for another job. Yeah, absolutely. So then it's, as I'm reflecting, I think the 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 eighth uh, challenge, again, these are not in any particular order, and I could probably come up with 10 more, but, you know, like, seems like a list of 10 is cool. So, you know, 10, 10 biggest mistakes people make when they're yes. choosing a career. <laughs> but the, the eighth mistake is uh, that people think that changing jobs is going to fix their problems. Changing jobs does not make your problems go away. You are the architect of every issue in your life, at work and at home. And I truly believe this. I believe this in the center, in the core, in the essence of my being, is that your problems will persist until you get the lesson. I heard a quote one time because um, there was a period in uh, in our industry and even now to a certain degree, it seems to have slowed down, but where people were changing companies um, in the financial services industry because this place had a better deal and that place had a better deal. And I was talking to a managing partner at New York Life and we were discussing this um, this sort of quandary, if you will. And he said that he likes to tell his advisors, wherever you go, you go with you right? And your problems follow you too. So if, um, if, if it seems like every single person around you only cares about themselves, why is it true that you only care about yourself? If it seems like your boss is only interested in, um, in progressing their career, why is it true that you're only interested in progressing your career? So it's sort of like a life lesson maybe buried inside of a, uh, a career mistake, but don't think that changing jobs is going to fix your problems. Change jobs, change careers for sure. If it's going to help you achieve your vision and your current one is not, but jumping out of one place full of issues. um, Now this isn't maybe universal. Certainly there are probably some toxic cultures because you didn't follow the, uh, the advice of checking out the culture, but probably more often than not, um, the problems persisting in your life are you. And here's a good litmus test. I just thought of this right now. Here's how to know if the problem is you 
or if the problem is your company. If it seems like every area of your life is giving you challenge, if you've got issues at home, if you've got issues financially, and if you've got issues at work, um, it's a lot more socially acceptable to change jobs than it is to change marriages, let's say. And so people, they will change the thing that they believe they can control. But if if you're seeing it as a more pervasive thing, there's that one question like, if you wake up and you meet six jerks by noon, look in the mirror, you know? Yeah. So like, if um, if that's what it is, you got to do some internal work. But if you feel fulfilled and happy in every area of your life, but you just really aren't looking forward to Monday, that's how you know it's probably a culture thing. And get out quick before you become the, the, the very culture that, you'd look, that you don't look forward to going to. You know, Tim, I have a question for you. Sure. So I know back when I think about my parents and grandparents, you know, um, kind of like old school way of looking at a career or your job or whatever you want to say is, you know, you typically stayed with one company for a very, very long time. Yeah. And um, I found that as I got older, I noticed that more people, uh, kind of at least in my, the people that I knew, family members, friends, they would go from like job to job. Like they would have people make connections, get, develop a big network, and then they would be pulled from, you know, position to position mm-hmm. uh, because they trusted, you know, the person that they were working with and they confided in that person. They knew they were going to be a good worker and what they would get from them. And they said, hey, listen, I switched jobs. I'm now working, you know, instead of, um, you know, company A, I'm now working for company B. I'd like you to come with, mm-hmm. you know. So, you know, is that kind of like, how does that kind of factor into what you're saying about, you know, you know, going from job to job and, and stuff like that? So there's, yeah, the, the um, time at job or, or whatever you would want to, whatever phrase we could come up with for it has definitely changed over time. And people are job hopping a lot more than are in our parents or grandparents day and age. And I think a lot of that's due to really the social contract has changed. Um, I don't remember if it was the 80s. I forget. Uh, it was a couple of decades ago where companies started using layoffs as a way to uh, right-size their profit and loss, you know, to fix issues in cash flow. And I'm not here to tell you whether layoffs are good or bad. They just are. So companies became... Uh, not all companies, but many companies, uh, particularly publicly traded companies, right, became less um, committed or devoted to the employees that they have. And then secondly, um, those very same companies changed their retirement programs from everybody has a pension plan, which for those of you that don't know what a pension plan is, because it's like I'm talking about black and white TV here, right? right. Like as it relates to financially, but a pension plan, for those of you not in the government, uh, that type of world, is essentially you retire and you can get you continue to get somewhere near your current income guaranteed for life. And uh, in some cases, you have to contribute towards that. But there's a guarantee you've got financial security forever. So the pension goes away. The uh, predictability of your future goes away. People had to respond. Now, just because that is a pretty pervasive fact doesn't mean that you need to job hop to get ahead. Uh, this all comes back to culture and questions you can ask. You know, what's the average tenure of employees in your firm? You know, I know for me, I'm not job hopping because uh, there's some crazy statistic at North, Northwestern Mutual where like once you're with the company five years, there's like a 98% chance you're going to die here. And the reason for that is because there still is that social contract. You know, as long as you're not doing something illegal or hurting people, 
Um, and as long as you have a, you know, whatever the minimum standard level of production is, you're not going anywhere, which obviously 98% are obtaining the minimum standard of production and not going anywhere. And, uh, also they still have a pension, right? So, uh, one of those black and white TV kind of retirement benefits. So, um, there's still a lot of great companies out there that put employees, um, above profits, which ultimately I believe if you do put employees above profits, you end up having profits above employees, right? Like that's, it's sort of uh, a virtuous circle because at the end of the day, there is no such thing as a company. Try to show me a company, point to a company. Well, how about that building out here? We've got this beautiful view here in Newport Beach, California. That is a building. That is not a company. Well, what about it's a corporation? That's a stack of papers, right? There is no company. It's a collection of people. And so that's why you have to look at what's the social contract, what's the, uh, what's the vision, what, what does it mean to be a member of this company? Or if you own a business, what's it mean to be a member of my business? Or if you're starting a business, what do I stand for? And what does it mean to be me? Then the, uh, I guess, number nine here would be focusing on what the job pays versus how much value that job could add to the company. Focusing on like, what's the salary? I mean, that's not not important. Believe me, I got bills to pay like anybody else and I like nice things and I like to do nice things, right? But if you focus on, like if I were applying for a job, which as we all know, I haven't had a job since I worked at Walmart uh, in 1996. But if I were applying for a job tomorrow, sure, like they're gonna talk about compensation. But I'd wanna ask the question, if I succeed in this role, how much financial value could I add to the bottom line of the company? If I really knock this job out of the park, what could that mean either to the shareholders and or to you, business owner, um, or to you? Like, like what, what would success in this role really provide? And, you know, in my office, we just hired a new um, office experience manager. And had she asked the question, like, what could I really add to the bottom line if I knock this role out of the park? There's a number. I mean, first of all, that question would have just knocked me back in my chair because it's like, wow, here's the kind of person that would be here for a really long time, right? Now, I didn't actually interview her. My team had interviewed her, so I don't know if she asked it or didn't ask it, but it's a fantastic question to ask because guess what? Now you know what the, what's on the table as far as opportunity in your position. If it's a position where they say, look, if you really excel at this, you could probably drive a million dollars of profit at this company to the bottom line. So even if position, even if the position is 90 grand a year, 70 grand a year, 60, who cares, whatever, you know, you can create a million dollars of profit at the bottom line. And guess what? People that create a million dollars of profit at the bottom line get what they want. I've always shared with my employees, make yourself irreplaceable and you'll be paid that way. So don't focus on how much will you pay me? Focus on how much more value could I deliver? What would I need to do to deliver even more value? Oh, but Tim, I'm in a position where it's more of a defensive position. I'm in operations. Okay. So if you totally streamlined operations, if you cut unnecessary steps out of the process, if you lowered the cost of goods sold, you name it, whatever position you're in, how much profit could you end at the bottom line? Never forget, there's two ways to increase profit. You can increase revenue or decrease expenses. And everybody's job better be tied to one of those two. Right? Like, because, like, that's what makes a business work. Yeah. And I, I could 
probably say that I don't think too many people are asking that question at all. Yeah. I, and you know what? I don't think many people would even think about asking that question. It's like, right. I don't understand. Like, the harder I work, I'm going to make my employer more money. So how does that benefit me? But they're not looking at it from that perspective. Even just asking the question, even in that tone, like answers start pouring in, don't they? Oh, yeah. Right. It's like, how does that benefit me? Well, I'm going to be deemed irreplaceable. So if there does need to be a layoff, I'm not going anywhere. Right. Uh, And if I ask for more, there will be more. They'll be glad to pay more. And if they're a company that's not glad to pay more for the results you deliver, do not worry. There are plenty of people. I'm here. There are are plenty of business owners out there that are willing to pay for value. So become a deliverer of value, and who cares what you're getting paid right now? Because ultimately, once you've got proof and you can answer thoughtful interview questions about how you delivered massive value, your next job is going to pay you a ton more. So yeah. you're, you're either in a job where you're harvesting or you're, you're, you're in a job where you're planting seeds. Yeah, so- and there may be that person that just says, you know what, I know that what my abilities are, and I know that I will be delivering massive mm-hmm. value to my employer. Exactly. But don't ask to get paid on that. Right. Right, right. Like that's the, like I've seen that too. People are like, well, here's what I'm going to do. Right. Great. Well, let's see you do it. Yeah. And then uh, I'll be glad to, to compensate you for I'll that. Make, well, that's, that's part of the process. I mean, that goes really without being said. You have to, you know, when the rubber hits the road, you have to actually perform. Totally. It's one thing to say it. Now, the very last one here, we've kind of come to number 10. Yep. Um, and... It would be insane of me not to mention this one, given the fact that I'm in the financial security industry, right? But when you are, because compensation is a real thing, but when you're measuring compensation, measure total value, total economic value, not just salary. I can't tell you how many people I've met over the years that aren't even getting, like, aren't even contributing to their 401k to get the match. But put it all down on a piece of paper, like, you ask them, like, what do you pay a month for health benefits, right? Because the more they pay, the better they are. But also, that's money the company's paying. That's compensation. You may not have to pay tax on it, but that's compensation. And that's how you can really, like, level the playing field when you're comparing offers, right? What's the match on my 401k? What's the value of the, is there group disability insurance? Is there group life insurance? Is there group long-term care insurance? Um, what's the PTO look like? What is the salary? What's the bonus opportunity? And, um, you know, are there free bananas and nap pods, right? <laughs> so, but like get all that on a piece of paper and, uh, and just do the math because salary is not the only thing. It's an important thing, but it's not the only thing. Yeah. There's a lot of, you know, and as we talk through this for the last, you know, 45, 50 minutes here, it makes me think like, you really got to, I mean, you really have to do your homework. And, and, and obviously that goes, I understand that. And it goes without being said, but I'm just saying it like, you really, really have to go out and do your homework. I think so many people now choose a career and just be like, you know what? I really kind of didn't know what else to do. And, you know, I kind of went to school for this. So I'm, I'm going to go in this direction. Mm-hmm. And it just, for the time and effort that you put into, I'm sure other things in your life to put that same time and effort, if not more into really having a plan and just giving some thought, these questions and these things to think about when you do decide to choose a career, I mean, are very, very impactful. Absolutely. So people out there, you're probably wondering like, so what do I do now? What are the next steps? So I've got these 10 mistakes. I definitely don't want to make these mistakes anymore if I've made them in the past. Well, first things first, clarify where you are on the map. And if you don't have a map, make a map. And by the way, a map is only useful if you know a couple of things. 
if I hand you a map, Craig, and say, here you go, here's a map of Southern California where we are, um, that is actually worthless for you unless you know where you are, where you want to go, what direction you're currently headed, and what true north is. And in this case, true north is your values. Like what are you unwilling to compromise on? So know where you are on your life map, personally, professionally, financially. And so if you if you can um, plot yourself on the map and look where you really want to be, what that 10 out of 10 life really looks like for you, and if you're not headed in that direction with enough velocity, um, then you know you need to make a change. But if, you, if you're exactly where you want to be and you're headed to exactly where you want to go, um, no need to change anything unless maybe it could be an opportunity to dream a little bigger. I'm not here to say your goal is too small, but um, in the universe, we're either growing or dying, nothing in between, and um, we're made to expand. And so maybe it's time to expand a little bit, or maybe not, yeah. but know where you are on the map. Two, uh, it's, is it possible to achieve your dreams and goals in your current career? It's just a big question. Is it possible? Can it be done? And if it can't be done, you know you're going to have to disrupt your life a little bit, unless you're willing to sell out on your dreams. Because ultimately, this comes to a moment of decision. And the second thing that Tony Robbins says that I love, it's, it's in the moment of decision that our destiny is shaped. And so the decision is, if you're in a career and it cannot get, it's not the right vehicle, it can't get you to the promised land of the life you want, will you, the decision is, will you give up on your dreams or will you make a change? And for any of you out there, this will be my shameless plug, if that's okay. I know I'm on your podcast. Is that cool, you? <laughs> no, plug away. Okay, plug great. Away. For those of you out there that know you need to make a change, and really feel um, connected to this notion of betting on yourself, uh, or who could identify maybe with some of my story, our firm nationally, I know you have listeners all over the world, but uh, at least in the United States of America, our firm nationally is constantly looking for a very specific type of person. I'll try to be as specific as possible. The people we're looking for are, it's really only 1% of people can do this career and succeed in this business. It's very, very difficult. But there are a lot, 1% of 300 million, still 3 million, right? But 1% of people can do it, just not many people can do it. So how do you know if it's you? Well, if you've been successful since you were 10 years old, meaning you found a way, you're the kid that set up the lemonades, you built your lemonade stand, you sourced the ingredients, you looked up the recipe, you figured out the pricing, you figured out the profit. You started a lawn mowing business. You bought bulk candy and brought it to school and sold it for a margin, right? Like if, if that was you, that's one way of knowing you should be betting on yourself if you're not right now. Also, you've been selling for as long as you can remember. Selling ideas, influencing people, um, just really seeing what you want and getting after it because you had hunger. You've had hunger for as long as you can remember. Also, uh, if your parents taught you that hard work, not knowledge, hear me again, hard work, not knowledge equals success. Knowledge is not power. Knowledge applied is power. And if you long for a career where you could make a significant impact on people's lives 
and I've described you growing up, reach out. Because for most people, they can't do this career. It's very difficult. And it's not because there's anything wrong with them. It's because they were meant for something else. But for the ones that should be doing this, it can change your life. It can change your family tree. It's changed my life, my wife's life, my kids' lives, my extended family's lives, my friends' lives, my clients' lives. And I'm not saying that to impress you, but to impress upon you that there is an opportunity with a Fortune 100 company that could be there for you. So thank you for listening. Yeah, and you know what? Again, thank you for all these tips. I I think, you know what? Listening to this, there is just so much value in just going over these things because I got to be honest, I haven't heard this too many other places, especially the way that you put this. And it was just eye-opening for me. I mean, just as I'm in the transition of of, of careers and just looking at things from just a really different perspective, um, I mean, this this was really great. And I do appreciate um, all this stuff uh, and all the knowledge that you provided here. Thank you so much, Tim. I appreciate that. It's very kind of you. I, I, um, anything I can do to serve or help or impact, so I'm here for you. Thank you for this opportunity to um, give my voice uh, an airwave. So, hey, least I could do. Least I could do. But you know what? Listen, where if people want to find out more about Tim Moore, they want to find more about the Newport Beach office here for Northwestern. Yeah. How can they go about doing that? So fortunately, there's not. Well, fortunately or unfortunately, there aren't that many Mulroys out there. Right. Uh, so if you Google Timothy Mulroy, uh, I'm sure my name spelling will be in the podcast listing. But um, you'll find my LinkedIn. You'll find my Instagram. My at TM Mulroy. Uh, you know my uh, Facebook and you know go to my company website, shoot me an email, uh, whatever. Like you can find me in many ways. I'm just glad to help and, uh, and an honor to, if you're still listening, it's been an honor to serve you. Yes. Well, Tim, thank you again. I appreciate your time. I actually look forward to having you back on this podcast because I could talk about a million other things. I think I'd like to go on for hours. Here. All right, let's do it. Cool. All right, we'll do it. Thanks, All Greg. Right. You got any time. Well, guys, listen, I hope you guys enjoyed this uh, and we will catch you next week. Thanks a lot. So there you have it. That's my interview with Timothy Mulroy, managing partner Northwestern Mutual here in Orange County. Hope you guys liked it. I mean, you know, now listening to it again, there's so much stuff there that I really just enjoyed Tim's perspective on the questions that you should be thinking about or potentially asking yourself when you're looking at a career path or changing careers or there's just a lot of good information there. Just thought it was very, uh, very informative. And I just, again, love his perspective. You'll definitely hear from Tim at some point again on this podcast. Uh, just I could have picked his brain for hours. Just a, a lot of knowledge there and just, just a good guy and a good friend. So I do appreciate uh, Tim and his time. So thanks again, guys, for being here this week. Thank you so much for your time. Again, if you haven't subscribed, please subscribe, write a review, listen to the podcast. And also, too, if you know somebody out there that needs to hear this information, please, please share it with them. Uh, let me know they, if they have any questions, have any questions for Tim, something they want to hear on a follow-up, send me a direct message over at Instagram, send a, a post over Facebook, or just email me. You could just visit the website at wtpodcast.com. There's a contact uh, page there. You could just send me an email and uh, let us know what you think. Let us know what you want to hear. And finally, for disclosure purposes, Northwestern Mutual is the marketing name for the Northwestern Mutual Life Insurance Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and its subsidiaries, California license number 0H37467. Thank you guys so much for being here this week. I'm looking forward to seeing you next time. Catch you later. Thanks for listening to the White Tiger Podcast. If you have feedback or questions for future episodes, get in touch by visiting wtpodcast.com. Yeah.